I am more of a cybersecurity practitioner. Mm -hmm. It's in my DNA. It seems like when we got into cybersecurity, there were less options. Interviewing the right way is critical. Negotiation is the best part of the process of interviewing in my mind. What are the most important tenets from your perspective to be the best in your field? Who says tech can't be human? What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again. I think it's time to put you in the hot seat. I think you have a really interesting story. I think you have an interesting career. And I think you have some philosophies about finding your role, like what mindset that you have to use to get that role that you want to get to. What are the things that you need to build around you, whether it's curriculum, your network, and then ultimately talk about the money. Yes. Money is such an important thing in cybersecurity that no one's really talking about. So I'm putting you in the hot seat today so we can get some of that information. Let's do it. One of the things we got to talk about is we have to talk about being in cybersecurity. I think a mm -hmm. lot of folks get into cybersecurity it's the wild, wild west. You're like, you could go this way, you could go that way, you could go super technical, you could be more on the process side. When you got into cybersecurity or even found out that cybersecurity was a thing, how did you orient yourself to cybersecurity? When I first got into it, I was really young. I was 19. And I got really lucky because I had great mentors throughout high school and, you know, being a young adult. And my first job was at Booz Allen Hamilton. And the only thing that I did was go to the meetings, show up, try to listen and be a sponge and really learn as much as I could. So how did you set like your path? How did you know, okay, I want to go into security automation, security architecture, or was it more of like, a, I'm just going to do the best that I can with the, this job? For most people, you know, they take a job and help desk, especially when we were first getting started in cybersecurity. Nowadays, Help desk might be security operations working in the SOC. But for me, it was really whatever job I was offered. There was only one thing that I was not willing to do, and that was work in the help desk. Mm. And that was only because I had mentors who told me, hey, if you get these certifications, you can skip that step. So I knew at least I could take an entry-level security job, mm -hmm. and I was willing to take whatever came my way. My first job was as a network security analysts. Mm -hmm. You don't know what that means in cybersecurity most of the times. Like, what, what am I going to be analyzing? Mm -hmm. How often? With who? Where at? Mm -hmm. And this job was also being a contractor for the government. Right. So I had to get a top secret clearance. And they didn't tell me what I was going to be doing before taking that job. When you finally got to your first role and you saw all the tasks that you had to do as someone in cybersecurity, were there tasks that you sort of gravitated to and other tasks that you were like, I don't ever want to do this ever again. <laughs> and, and how did you sort of separate the two? It's crazy because in the beginning of my career, it was, I don't want to do documentation. I wanted to hack, break into devices, pop boxes, as they say. Yeah. And I also wasn't interested at all in network defense. I only wanted to be either an offensive analyst, mm -hmm. red teamer, pen tester, and that was it. But as I started to learn more and more about cybersecurity, I realized that the whole reason I got in was to kick 
hackers out of my network mm. or to break in the networks. But I started to realize over the course of my career that it's more important to know the fundamentals, to know this is good hygiene. This yep. is how you stop misconfiguration. This is how you cut it at its root. And that's what I like doing now. I love, you know, focusing on the documentation pieces. I love building processes. But early in my career, it would have been the exact opposite. It seems like when we got into cybersecurity, there were less options. Right. You get into cybersecurity, maybe you're trying to understand the network, maybe you're more focused on endpoints, maybe you're doing something like research for vulnerabilities or something like that. But today you have so many different jobs mm -hmm. that you can do. What would you recommend to somebody that's getting into cybersecurity and finding the path for them? I think you got to be open for and available for the opportunities. Just like how you asked me, was I going to take any job? Yeah, I was. Like That <laughs> might be what you have to do. Mm -hmm. But I think if you know at least part of your purpose and you know purpose is like doing the things that are going to avoid you from being burnt out mm -hmm. sometimes people join the sock not really wanting to do a marathon level activity doing yeah. the same thing over and over again that's very similar but if you don't know what your purpose is and that's perfectly fine because i'm still discovering mine mm -hmm. i have a list of constraints here is like what i'm willing to do most of the time and here's what i'm not willing to do most of the time and mm -hmm. for me it's always been doing and pioneering new capabilities i love helping an organization go from good to great or not good to at least good Mm -hmm. uh, that's my list of constraints. And for anyone that's just getting started, I think really just making a list of things that you want to do and starting there, because that's also going to help your job hunt. Yep. If you find out that you're good at analyzing network traffic, mm -hmm. that's one competency. If you find out that you're really good at and have a strong interest in cloud configuration, that's another thing that you could probably type into Google for cloud security configuration jobs, cloud security engineering mm -hmm. even. How did you know you had a either a knack or even an interest in some of the tasks in cybersecurity? Is it was it just based on exposure? Did you hear about certain jobs from different people and you're like, "Ooh, how do I get myself into that position?" One of the things that I knew I w I didn't want to do a lot was security operations, and I knew I didn't want to do that because I like taking one activity, one task and seeing it automated the next time around. Right. And when I realized that I like seeing things to be done automatically. I started to learn Python. And I along the way, I saw that a lot of people had the same interests, mm -hmm. but they didn't want to learn how to program. They mm -hmm. wanted to figure out how to use a different tool, maybe work with another vendor, mm -hmm. download an open source piece of software, and let that be their you know, niche for like setting up and installing security applications. But mine has always been programming. And mm -hmm. that's one of the things that I easily separates a lot of people in cybersecurity. There are those that code and then those that don't. And yeah. there's no right or wrong answer. But in my life, the right answer is definitely to code. So you got your first or second job in cybersecurity. Now you're starting to acclimate to cybersecurity. You know what's going on. You know some of the personas. You know some of the roles. And now you're like, I want to do things automatically. I want the machines to work for me. What part of your brain, what part of your the the makeup that is Ron that pushed you into like more of the architecture stuff? What pushed you into saying that this is the path I want to take based on the skills that I have? 
it was saving people time. Mm. People definitely, that does not go unnoticed. When you save someone an hour, when you save someone a day of their time, they start to invite you to more projects. And it was when I was working at Intel, I was a cyber fusion analyst. Mm -hmm. Who knows what that means? That just means that I, <laughs> I don't was even know. <laughs> supposed to fuse things together in security. Right. And I loved that job and I loved it because Intel had a huge SOC. There was at least 30 people in it. There were some people in the United States, some mm -hmm. people in Costa Rica. And they would come to me and ask me to build them very small set of tools. One of the tools I built was taking our alert data and enriching it in VirusTotal. Mm -hmm. This was something that we used to have people in the SOC do. Take that IP address, just copy, mm -hmm. paste it into VirusTotal. If it has any malicious output, like if VirusTotal said that there was malicious artifacts associated with it, then they would copy that from VirusTotal and put it into our ticketing system. Mm -hmm. So I wrote them a script that not only took it out of our ticketing system, enriched it in VirusTotal, but then took the output and put it back into the ticketing system. Mm -hmm. And they started to ask for more and more and more. And that led to two things. One, it built trust for me at Intel. Mm -hmm. And then two, it helped develop and sharpen my skills in Python and programming. Yeah. When, when I think about you, even when we first met back in 2015, I always looked at you as like Tony Stark. You're the guy that's like, oh, that's your problem? Let me spin you up an Iron Man suit real quick. Bada bing, bada boom. There, now you can do it automatically. Mm -hmm. You've done that since then, all the way through the work we've done together at other companies and even at Hacker Valley. You're always looking for, how do we do this better? How do we yeah. automate this? Sometimes when people get wrapped around the axle of cybersecurity, they think, if you're not doing security operations, you're not in cybersecurity, which I think is a big mistake, right? They look at the compliance folks, they're like, oh, that's not really cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, it is. In fact, when I got one of my roles, someone wrote on a post that I had, I said, hey, I changed my, my job title. I'm like, oh, you did, oh, you got a, a cybersecurity role with no cybersecurity experience? I'm like, did you look at my, my <laughs> resume? Like, there's all this experience. But because it wasn't classic, either like cybersecurity analyst or security engineer, they completely dismissed it. Mm -hmm. So what would you have to say to the folks that would be building applications, tools, scripts in support of cybersecurity, but maybe not doing the actual operations work? I could say for anyone that is feeling discouraged at any point by someone else's feedback, <laughs> I've been there with you. When yeah. I was trying to make my way out to Silicon Valley, I was applying at all the companies, Google, Facebook, Tesla, and I was also working with the NSA. Mm -hmm. And when I went to these Silicon Valley companies, they said, oh, you have a little bit of cybersecurity experience. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, well, hold on. I've been doing this for the past five years. Right. But it's it's really people's perception of what they consider to be cybersecurity. If you are developing applications in Python, someone might say you have no cybersecurity experience at all. Right. We always bash cybersecurity vendors about bugs Mm -hmm. about issues with their products, but it's software. Software is made by humans. Humans have flaws. So does their software. Mm, that's super important. Do you consider yourself a cybersecurity practitioner more or are you a technologist? I am more of a cybersecurity practitioner. Mm -hmm. It's in my DNA. If I am sitting down at a coffee shop, I do wonder in the back of my mind, who's checking their bank right now? Who is, you know, employing these bad security practices or bad security hygiene? From a technologist perspective, I always want to break things. And that's why mm -hmm. I always feel like my heart is in cybersecurity. Yeah. When you think about 
getting the the ultimate goal of being maybe a security architect was that the goal to be a security architect or were you like hey i just want to do things in technology and then you just worked your way to being an architect it's crazy because when i was early in my career my goal was to be who i was now who i Mm -hmm. am now yeah someone that works in cybersecurity that is a face in cybersecurity but about five to six years in my career when i became a security architect my dream and goal was to be the best security architect there ever was. Mm. And I started to realize over time that what I really am is a cybersecurity advocate. And Mm. maybe that's like where my dream and goals are now is to be a supporting member for people that work in cybersecurity, for organizations in many different capacities. If somebody calls me and asks me to write them an application, I'll probably say no. Mm-hmm. But I would love to help you think about how to build your application. That's where I jump in these days. Let's say someone has a goal similar to yours. I want to be the best threat hunter in the world. I want to be the best incident responder. I want to be the best compliance person or the best auditor mm-hmm. in cybersecurity. What things should they think about to get there? What are the most important tenets from your perspective to be the best in your field? When I worked at Booz Allen, they had this... A framework that they would use to assess you every year. Mm-hmm. Everyone has yearly performance reviews, and we had competencies, core competencies. Right. Are you good at communication? Mm-hmm. Are you good at leadership? You know, that was some of the things that they would ask me on my assessment, but they would also ask technical competencies. Mm-hmm. Like, do you know how to code? Do you understand the OSI model? Do you understand what happens when you open up your laptop? and you type in google.com. So I think the best thing that anyone can do is define a set of competencies that really outline the best in that field. So if you wanna be the best threat hunter, write down the attributes that the best threat hunters have, and that's your baseline and the way that you assess of if you're gonna actually be able to be that unicorn that you're hoping to be. Yeah, one of the best exercises I've seen anyone do in cybersecurity is take the job rec for the job that you want to have at maybe even the company that you want to be at and say, where, where are the holes? And then how do I fill each and one of those holes? So if, say, someone's at an organization where they aren't really looking at competencies, they're not really pushing them along in education and different things to expose them in cybersecurity, how would you recommend them building out a curriculum for themselves? Getting a mentor. And mm. what I was just thinking about is there's a cheat code. I haven't interviewed for a job for probably about five years. Right. And, you know, this is something that we do together. It's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. When we go get a job these days, we do it together. Yep. Like, Stepbrother hey, style. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're here. We're not, we're not interviewing. We're more so having a conversation. But when you build out your network, you don't have to kind of be in the same line that everybody else is in because you have someone that works at the company or that knows your work that works at the company that's able to say, hey... I vouch for Ron. Ron mm-hmm. should definitely come and work here. So I think like that's really the, the best thing that someone can do to kind of get a head start and even stand out. I need to jump in here for a second because our sponsor and friends at Nest Buy wanted us to ask you, our listeners, a question. Are you constantly wondering what else is on your attack surface? NetSpy has created an attack surface management platform to help you make sense of it all. NetSpy has a team of skilled pen testers that can help you find those critical vulnerabilities and become your partner in creating the right remediation game plan 
for you. To learn more about NetSpy, visit netspy.com forward slash HVM and tell them Hacker Valley sent you. Thank you, NetSpy, for sponsoring this episode. Now let's get back to the conversation. I'd say cybersecurity is one of those industries that has a lot of imposter syndrome mm -hmm. because there's a lot of head heavy work that has to happen. Getting a lot of experience, getting certifications, going to school. There's a lot of information that you have to have in your head. And let's say there's someone that's relatively new in their career. They might feel imposter syndrome about like even reaching out to someone to say, hey, I'm brand new in cybersecurity. I want to either pick your brain or I want to know some of the people that I need to talk to. What are some of the groups? How would you encourage people that are new into cybersecurity to find the network, to build their network, and even maybe even do their own personal brand? That's a tough one because you have to be, you know, external facing to accomplish that. Yep. Whether it's joining Zooms and, you know, uh, going to virtual conferences or in-person conferences. Mm -hmm. Whatever the case may be, whatever conference you go to, I'd recommend signing up for one of the activities at a conference. Mm. When you sign up for an activity, you know that there's going to be some socializing aspect. You'll have to put yourself out there. Uh, but when you go to a conference and you just hope that some rock star author expert in cybersecurity, you know, talks to you, you might be setting yourself up for failure. But the more circles that you're able to enter, and, and that's through planned activities, I think the better and easier it's going to be. So I'm more, I would say I'm in the middle between introversion and extroversion. Mm -hmm. I would say I'm slightly more <laughs> introverted. But what about the people that are super introverted? They, right. they want to network, but that's not something that comes natural to them. How would you advise them to go about networking in a way that makes sense? Yeah, some people should start online at a virtual mm -hmm. conference. Um, there's a lot of virtual conference, especially after the pandemic. We've been doing a lot of virtual conferences. That's a great way because there's a lot of times breakout rooms that you might be tossed into to where you have the comfort of your own home to break out of your shell. But at a conference, again, it's the planned activities. If there is a cocktail hour, you know, mm -hmm. sign up for it. One of the things I like to do every year for Black Hat and DEF CON is to go to Google and type in Black Hat and DEF CON parties. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't go, at least you have your name on the list and you can get in if you're available. Yep. And two, you'll be amongst the who's who because everybody likes free drinks, free food, yeah. free activities that are going to help you get a stronger network, but might even lead to a job opportunity. Mm -hmm. And let's say you're at that party having a conversation and then lo and behold, you have the holy grail in your industry sitting right there. You don't know what to say, mm -hmm. right? You're brand new to the cybersecurity. <laughs> You're like two years in. What the heck am I going to say to this person to let them know that, number one, I exist, and number two, that they are doing the thing that I want to get to in the future? The best thing that you can do is ask someone about themselves because mm. people often in cybersecurity go unnoticed or unheard. Their work isn't important until bad things happen. And right. that's unfortunate. So asking someone about what they do is critical. And then yeah. two, don't jump into begging someone to be your mentor because yeah. asking a stranger to be your mentor is kind of a weird question because mm -hmm. what does that even mean? What kind of mentor are you hoping to get? I used to do that and I did not get positive <laughs> responses. Right. Really just having a natural conversation. If there's an opportunity to talk about yourself, about you know the things that you're confident in or you're passionate about, especially if it's in relation to what they're saying about their work, 
then there might be some synergy. There might be some areas for building a rapport mm -hmm. and just having a good time. So you're doing all the right things. <laughs> you got the right mindset, right? I right. want to be the best in my industry. You figure out all the holes that you have, like, cool, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take this course. I'm going to go volunteer for this thing. You meet your mentors, you're networking, you know, all these people. One day someone reaches out to you and like, I have the opportunity of a lifetime for you. This is the position that you've been trying to vie for this mm -hmm. whole time. How do you show up at the interview, like in the right way? And then also once you get there, how do you even vie for the salary that you deserve? This is a really important question. This is important for anyone that's trying to get a new job. Interviewing the right way is critical. I can give you a quick story about how I used to interview and how I interview now. Yeah. When I would interview early on in my career, I would be asked questions and I would give a direct answer mm -hmm. without asking any other questions in return. Right. So um, I remember this time I was interviewing at Google and the interviewer asked me, hey, if you wanted to break into a server, what would you do? Mm -hmm. And I gave a knee jerk response. I would do this. I would try to throw an exploit. I would load a Metasploit. I would try to throw this exploit and see what happens. Mm -hmm. I didn't ask what the server was running right, on. Yeah. I didn't ask what kind of environment I'm in. I didn't mm -hmm. ask if I'm doing this for work or if I'm doing this as a cyber criminal. Yeah. There was a lot of context and story building that I could have done to answer truly what the, the interviewer was asking. So I would say that is one of the tips is asking questions to clarify that, mm -hmm. making sure you're giving the right and appropriate answer. And then the second piece is just being calm, relaxing a little bit. It's hard to relax in an interview and during a conversation that seems really important to you at the time. Mm -hmm. But having that in the back of your mind, some technique that gets you back to calm is really important. When I was young in my career, my hands would shake sometimes. I yeah. would go and pick up my coffee yeah, right. and like there would be like, you know, the cup would be shaking even if it's just taking a, a moment to breathe mm -hmm. or pausing because pausing during an interview gives the interviewer to say like, okay, yep, you answer the question correctly. Right. Or they might ask you for more context without you going into left field. Mm -hmm. Before we get to, to salary stuff, what should someone do if they feel like they should know the answer to a question that they're being asked, but they don't know it? Because, <laughs> you know, I've seen people kind of dance around right. it or they guess and then sometimes they're wrong, sometimes they're half right. How would you recommend people respond to something that they really don't know? I guess it depends on the role. So if this is for a technical role, I think it is important to answer the question. Mm -hmm. um, and there's ways that you would answer the question. So let's stick with technical. If it's technical, you would want to ask some clarifying questions to see if there's any clues that you can gather about the question that you, you're not quite sure about. If someone were to ask you, how do you perform an HTTP request in Python? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, hey, uh, what kind of development environment do I have? Mm -hmm. Do I have the ability to install libraries and packages? Because maybe you don't know how to do it natively, but you do know that there is a library third party that you've used in the past that would help you with this task. Mm -hmm. So asking those clarifying questions and for more context. And the second bit is to ask if that ability and that competency is needed for the job. Right. Like, hey, I'm not quite sure. Is this something I would be doing in the role? Mm -hmm. If it is, that might be a good sign for you if you don't know the answer and maybe don't get the job 
that this wasn't what you're trying to do anyways. This isn't what you're studying for. Mm -hmm. um, I've learned that the hard way as well when I've interviewed at Silicon Valley companies, getting rejected or getting accepted and realizing, oh, wow, all these things in, in the interview that I was answering that I didn't want to answer and didn't want to talk about during the interview is what they want me to do at that job. Mm -hmm. Let's say you're in an interview and they ask you a question and for one, you don't know the answer. But for two, you don't even understand the question. Because I've been there before. Mm -hmm. I've done super technical interviews where I'm just like, I don't even know what language you're speaking right now. <laughs> what would you recommend for someone that you come out of that pretty dejected? Do you say like, hey, double down into your, your weaknesses and like kind of like go back to the drawing board, maybe look, do some additional research into what that question even meant? Or would you say like maybe that particular position isn't for you? Like what would you recommend to somebody? I would say that position might not be for you. If you're speaking a completely different language, that sounds destructive for not only the employer, but for yourself. You probably have a lot of venting conversations with your friends or your partners. Um, so I would say uh, don't get too caught up in the role because mm -hmm. the right opportunity will present itself, especially if you look and you always do your best. Yeah. Let's say we fast forward in time a little bit. Because I think when we talk about salaries, there's a lot of information about starting salaries mm -hmm. in different positions. So getting data on like, hey, how much am I worth with this amount of experience doing this role is, is relatively easy to get a hand on. But when you get later in your career, the later and later you get in your career until you get to about CISO, which they do a pretty good job there as well. It's like a wild, wild west of like salaries, how much you make, how much you can make, looking at locality pay. How do you recommend people understanding number one what their value is to an organization and then how do you vie for the best dollar figure that you can for your role it's funny sometimes when you uh hear about let's say a job where you're a security engineer and somehow in california you know your, mm -hmm. your salary is one number but if you're doing it in virginia the salary is different. If you're doing it in Texas, the salary is different. Yep. I think that is where cybersecurity is broken in to some regard. Mm -hmm. And I think it's changing now, now that there's more remote jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, but for that, you got to know your, your worth. You got to know your price. Mm -hmm. As anyone taking a job for a company, you are providing value. You are providing a service. You're filling a gap. So you have to know how much your gap is worth and then go and seek that number. If yeah. you are a security engineer, there's going to be a range. You should definitely ask your employer, what is the range for this job? Mm -hmm. And make sure that fits into your own range. I've been in the situation, especially early and late in my career, where I entertain an opportunity that isn't even worth my time or their time. They're not willing to pay me what I want to get paid. Mm. I got offered the job, at least at that time, the job of my lifetime, and they offered $50,000, which was less than I was <laughs> making as an E5 in the military. And I was just like, I can't do that. Right. And I had a specific goal, right? When I got out of the military, I was like, I want to make a hundred grand. Mm -hmm. When you look at your path, you, when you look at your career, were there certain milestones from a salary perspective that you wanted to hit? And then how did you go about making sure that you hit those markers? 100,000. $100,000 is a magical number. Uh, yeah. Some people will say money's not everything. Mm -hmm. Well, money supports you. It pays your bills. It's going to feed your family. Money is very important. I would say for anyone that says that, 
don't listen to them. Mm. You should definitely follow your passion, but you mm -hmm. have to also follow the things that are going to help make you better at your career. When I first got into cyber, I was making 35000 mm -hmm. and then took a different job, started making 65000 And from 65, somehow I jumped to nearly a hundred. Mm -hmm. So I think there's really weird gaps in cyber because like a lot of times for entry level, you'll see the range be from like 60 to 80. Mm -hmm. And then for mid-level, somehow it's 120 to 150. Senior, 160 to 200. CISOs, now that's a whole different ballgame. Uh, yeah. We have a friend who does virtual CISO, and he just told us that he makes $350 an hour. Mm -hmm. If he only works 16 hours a week, he's making over $240,000. Yeah, Pretty wild, and that's where I think you know we often overlook the importance of money because these opportunities and jobs that you'll take are ultimately worth a specific value. You don't want to devalue yourself and you don't want to put the company in a situation in a year or two when you take a new job because they didn't pay you what you originally wanted. Mm -hmm. I think you're right about hitting certain markers because I, I remember distinctly during my like journey where getting to say like I, I got a hundred immediately after the Marine Corps. Oh, right, right after. Right after that was my first job. Like in the space, I was like, I will get a hundred thousand dollar <laughs> job, and I did not. I did not take no for an answer. <laughs> I interviewed so many times, and they're like, Oh, we'll give you eighty five. I'm like, No, thank you. I'm. I'm. This is what I want. Right. Yeah. Uh, this is what I want. So I kept buying for that. But then when I was trying to say to get to one fifty. When I was trying to get to 200, 300, it's almost like there's these mental blocks. They're like, uh, we can give you 198. Like, can you just give me 200? Right. But for some reason in their mind, they're like, oh, we can't get you to 200. <laughs> That's just like baffling. But it's only $2,000 difference. Right. How can people combat that mental block for someone that's in HR or maybe even like a hiring manager? It's yeah. like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to give them 200,000. I'll give them 198. How do you think they should approach those conversations? Negotiation is the best part of the process of interviewing in my mind because that's the one place where you're in the driver's seat as the candidate. Mm -hmm. If they've offered you a job, that means that they have interest in having you on the team and they, they want you. They're willing to pay you money for what you do, which is amazing. And you have to love or at least be open to the spirit of negotiation. Mm. When you ask for something, someone might tell you no, just like how when we were kids, we used to ask our parents for something <laughs> and they would say, no, you're not yeah. getting, you can't go out to the movies, but you still had the, the good spirit to ask and you didn't let a no change the relationship. Mm -hmm. I think we should do the same for our job negotiations. If you ask, let's say you get offered 198, your number was 200. The first question that you could ask the employer is, how can I do that? Mm -hmm. This role, you know, the range is 200 to 220 and you're offering me 198. How, how can I, how can I accept right. that? Yeah. And th now they have to explain and justify why they're offering you 198. There might be a reason behind it. This is all the company can afford. If mm -hmm. that's the, the answer, well, you might want to consider, you know, extending your job search because if they don't have that additional 2000, it might not be the place for you in a year. Are you open to moving to a different role after a year? That's a really important question to ask yourself. And the other piece that I would say is when you're interviewing for a job is to not ever, ever, ever give out your number. Mm. That's the last thing that you do. That's when you're ready to accept.
a lot of times companies will ask you before you even get into the technical interviews, what's your what's your range? Yeah. Say, I don't have a range. I would love to know what is the range for this job. Mm -hmm. And if they are very persistent, do not do it. It's going to feel yeah. extremely hard, extremely awkward. Never give out your number before the employer, because at that moment they can say, boom, like if I if I offer you this number, I know I know he has to take it. And if he doesn't, now the, now the situation is awkward because of you. Well, one thing that I've done in the past is I will give a number if they ask for it, but I give them a number that number one, if everything else was in alignment and they gave me this number and I like the role, it would be an absolute yes for me. Mm -hmm. So I would give that, that, but I would give the caveat of the, if this is in, a, in an alignment and the other benefits and things that were in a good position, I'd be willing to do this job for X amount of dollars. Would you still say like, don't do that because that's going to set you up for failure? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And it hurts so much when you find out you're the lowest paid on the team. Right. Especially by a percentage. Maybe you're you're being paid 20% less mm -hmm. than all of your peers and you have the same exact job. That, right. that always crushes whatever that comfort that you had about getting that offer in the first place. And I could share that, you know, my first job, I was telling you that I was making 35K. Yeah. Then I, I, then I made 65K. That's a big jump. Right. And then after that, I jumped to nearly 100. I mm -hmm. jumped from 65 to 85. Yeah. And I realized after the fact that I had that big jump because everybody else on the team was making over 100. Mm. I was the guy making 65,000. Dang. And I wasn't mad about it because I was so young at the time, but it didn't make me feel good. It didn't yeah. make me like my employer more. It actually opened my, my mind and said, hmm, well, I only make 85, and I still know that everybody on the team makes over 100. Mm -hmm. Now, either you have to pay me 100 this next year when I hit my review process, or I'm out. And mm -hmm. I'm already now thinking about the p possibilities of being out. That's right. a distracted employee. Very distracted, 100%. And it makes me think about the taboo, at least in the United States, around salary. Yeah. Oh, you, you can't ask me how much I make. <laughs> but I do believe that with transparency, with people having conversations about what is in the realm of the possible, what is the ranges out there in the world, what is the average, I think that puts the power in the people's hand rather than giving all the power to the employers. The employers would love for all the salaries to be secret yeah. because then they could pay, you know, they can get a bargain here, they can get a bargain there, they can get this person. But the more information people have, the more powerful they are in these negotiations. What would you say about people in the cybersecurity community? Do you think we have enough openness about the salaries and the ranges? Or do you think we still have uh, a bit to go? It is a black box. Mm. The most open role that I've seen has been a CISO. CISOs share their salaries. They do. I would say somewhat openly to their peers. Mm -hmm. I've never had a security architect come to me and even ask how much I make, let alone tell me how much they make. Mm -hmm. And for every company I've worked at besides one, I never knew how many, how much my other teammates made unless I asked them, unless I posed the question. So I think it's still very taboo, especially in cybersecurity, where the numbers are so big and the ranges are very wide for each role. So we've covered a lot of ground. We've talked about like mindset when you're first getting in. How do you acclimate to cybersecurity and then pick a direction? How do you find the path that's going to be best suited for you and your personality? We talked about networking. How do you find the people in your space that are going to help you get to where you need to be? Mm -hmm. And then ultimately, when that opportunity comes along, we talked a little bit about salary. When you look at those three things, 
for somebody out there that's along that chain, what are the pieces of advice that you would have for the salary, for the network, and for the mindset? Let's start with mindset. Mindset is always do your best and be happy with that. Mm -hmm. If you read a book and you didn't digest any of it, but you tried really hard, pat yourself on the back, get to the next one or reread it. So yeah. always do your best. Be happy with it. The salary piece and also getting what you're worth, know what you're worth. Mm. Do your research. Um, interview at many different jobs, especially when you're early on in your career mm -hmm. or, or switching into a new role. Like let's say you're moving from being a security engineer to a security architect. That's when it's most important to really test and taste the water. Third one is the network. Build it in mm -hmm. any way that you can. LinkedIn is our second home. Yeah. I spend hours on it each day uh, looking at what people are working on, congratulating others, and even sharing my work. So brag about yourself, talk to others, you know, let others like celebrate in other people's brags yeah. and make friends, have fun, fun while doing it. Heck yeah. I, I love that. I think that's all really good advice for anybody out there at any part of their career, whether they're early stage or late stage. We'll drop some supplemental information in the show notes, wherever you're watching or listening to this, just so you can be the best that you can be in cybersecurity. And with that, we will see everyone next time.